Luke chapter 2. We're going to be in verse 10. Now we'll start in verse 8 for some context. I'll read and start in verse 8, and verse 10 is on the screen for you. It says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Now if you noticed, I'll see if I can go back. There we go. There's a question mark. And that's what really hit me last year. Really struck me last year. I I listened to to pastors speak throughout the week. I listened to podcasts and speakers. I want to get better at what I do. And so I listened to people that I think are great speakers and listened to them. And and it was an offhanded comment in a message from a, a pastor last year. Is it good news still? And that was it. That was his question. Is it still good news? And I think absolutely it is, but sometimes I don't think we deliver it as such. And I'm not sure we live it as such. And then is it, is it great joy? Do we have great joy about what has happened to us who believe? And, and, and do, does the world have great joy that Christians exist within their world? Is it great joy? And then is it for all people? Do we believe that the gospel of Jesus is for everyone? All people, at all times, in all places, in all locations? Or do we believe it's for a select few? So this morning, we're going to break that down, and we're going to look at what the angel said, because he tells us it's good news of great joy for all people. So we're going to start with good news. Is it? Is it still good news? Is it, is it something that people still want to hear? Now, again, we'll get into semantics. Well, no unbeliever wants to hear the gospel, and I think that's nonsense, I do. I, I, don't, I don't believe that for a second. I believe that there are millions of people in this world who are looking for someone to tell them the truth. That are looking for people to stop hiding behind their fear, stop hiding behind their anxiety, and tell them the truth. Now, the challenge is, the reason that I have good news question mark is because I don't know that a lot of times we start in the right place. I don't know that a lot of times when in the, the Christmas season, we, don't, we, we love the baby Jesus, we love Jesus in the manger, um, but sometimes we forget that Jesus was the, the God who came to earth to forgive sins. And we'll look at that towards the end, but he didn't come to condemn the world. 2 Corinthians 5.21. I'll have them up on the screen because um, this probably should be a multiple uh, a series, And I'm going to try and cram it all in one day. So, enjoy. Um, Strap in, you're fine. You don't have anything to do, right? It's Christmas. It's an easy time of year. It's fine. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is our starting point, ladies and gentlemen. This is the starting point because what it does is it removes the focus from us and them and puts it back on where it should be. Salvation comes through one name and one person alone, and that is Jesus. Salvation doesn't come through me. It doesn't come through you. It doesn't come through what you can accomplish or what you have done. It comes through him who knew no sin, who lived a perfect life. God made him to be sin, to take the punishment for what we deserve so that we can become the very righteousness of God himself. Now, I don't know about you guys, and I say this every time I quote this verse, I have never once in my life been like, man, today, I was the righteousness of God. I was, all day. Man, from the, morning, from the moment I woke up to the time I went to bed, I was the very righteousness of God. I was perfect. Everything I said, every thought I had, every action I took was Jesus. Anybody? Good, we're on the same boat. Perfect. That's what I was hoping for. We don't. We, we, we are so incredibly flawed people. The term I love is we are broken. We are broken people. The best of us in here, if we were to line up like our measurements of sin and put them on a scale, the best person, least sinful person, still completely broken. Because the comparison is not to other people because that's, that's what I do. Well, I might be doing this, but I'm not doing that. You know, you know what I'm talking about? That, I don't do that. Oh, this over here, but that's, you know, but I'm not doing that. And Jesus is like, I didn't do any of it. I am your goal. Be perfect as I am perfect. Oh, yeah, I can't do that. And that's why I love this verse, because look, look at what he does. For our sake, he, he did it. God did it. He made him. He made Jesus. He made it. He did it. We did nothing. Nothing. To be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, what he did in that, in him, not in you, not in your righteous deeds, not in your family name, not in how many times you go to church, not in who you serve and when you serve and what you serve. In him, we might become the righteousness of God, not our own righteousness. You and I don't have righteousness. We have wrongteousness. We don't know how to do right. And I'll show you a verse that tells us that. I'll show you a verse here in a little bit that shows you you can't even want to do right. If you ever in your life do something right, you should stop and go, oh, thank you, Jesus. Have a little hallelujah moment right there because that's the Holy Spirit moving through you. We cannot do anything. Jesus says it in Matthew, apart from me, you can do nothing. Literally, zero. Try breathing. Okay, now go ahead and breathe. Ha, see what I did there? You couldn't do it without me. That's what he does. We can't do anything. But what we've done is, that's why I don't know that it's good news. I think it's kind of below average news that we generally present. So we've got, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knows no sin, so that in him you might do the right things. So that in him you can stop watching those TV shows. 
So that in him, you can go to church every week. And in him, you can tithe. And in him, you can, whatever you want to put in there, we've taken the gospel of grace and just simply made it the gospel of sin management. Act better, look better, do better, try harder. That's not the gospel of Jesus. That is mediocre news. Below average news. God came to give you life if you can earn it. That's not good news. The good news is that I can't do anything on my own. I am broken. I am a mess. But in him, based on what he did, I'm the very righteousness of God himself. That's some good news. That's not what we deliver. That's not what we deliver. Ephesians 2. God saved you. We'll just stop there. God saved you. Do you know what role you played in your salvation? <laughs> yes, yes. That's it. That's all you did. At least that's all I did. Right about here, I think. There was weeping. There was a brokenness when I recognized that I was so far from the God who loved me. God saved you by his grace. Again, are you seeing a pattern? You're not involved. God saved you by his grace. He is doing all the things. When you believed, there's your role. Good job, proud of you. You believed. Not when you started acting right. Not when you started saying the right things and doing the right things. It is when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so none of us can boast about it. I love this verse because it removes elitism from Christianity. Not a single person in here can think they're better than anyone else according to the gospel of Jesus. The gospel removes elitism it removes a hierarchy structure. It flips it upside down. And those are the greatest or the least. Those who are greatest in the kingdom of God are the least here on earth. And, and, and we have this idea, and, and I think we mean it. We say everyone is welcome in church. And I, I truly believe we mean that. Everyone is welcome in church a couple times. Like you can come to church with all your baggage and all your brokenness, and all your sins, and all your flaws, and we don't have an exact number, but there comes a point when we all start expecting some change in some people. Like, oh, you can come to church, but if you're going to stay at church, you can't be doing what I know you do on Saturday nights. Now, we may not actually say that, but that's sure the perception the world gets from us. Like, oh yeah, you can come, come to church. We accept everyone, we love everyone, and, and, and we do. But if they've been coming five, six, seven times and they've raised their hand to an altar call, we begin to have some for real expectations. You better clean yourself up. If you're gonna keep coming to this church, you're gonna need to clean yourself up. And I'm not saying this church, I'm saying that's how most churches function. Because that's how most Christianity functions. And here is the problem with it. 
For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. You couldn't clean yourself up if you wanted to. Do you know how I know that? You'd all be clean by now. Sorry. I can't do it. I still struggle with sin every single day. Do you think I like it? No, I hate it. I hate it. But if I could clean myself up, I already would have done it. Again, what is our role? Very little. God is working in you, giving you the desire. We can't even want to do what's right. We don't wake up in the morning with the initial desire to please God very often. We wake up in the morning with the desire to please myself, do what I need to do to get ahead in this world, to take care of my family. We get stuck. We get stuck with this expectation that we put on other people that you have got to clean yourself up. You need to figure this Christianity thing out. And that's why, like, even in really good small groups, which I'm in a really good small group, um, you should too. You should get in a small group because they're, they're the lifeblood of this church. They're amazing. But even in the best of small groups, we don't, we don't talk about sin that we're currently dealing with. We don't, we don't do that in church. We talk about sin we've already overcome. We talk about things that, depending on your age, yeah, back in the 80s, 80s was a wild decade for me. Like, I was born in 84, but... Um, first six years of my life, living it up. But like we do, we talk about what used to happen because we're only okay talking about when God gave me the desire and the power to overcome my sin. We don't like to talk about where we don't have that yet. We don't talk about it because we feel like a failure. How can you be a failure when it is not you that can ever do it? The only thing we fail to do is believe the good news that by his grace and his love and his forgiveness, we can be healed. Not by what we try and do. Try for a day to go sinless. Try for a day. Let me know how it goes. I want some texts. If you wake up at 7, at 7.04, I'm going to get a text. Because it's not always actions, it's thoughts too. It's thoughts too, and I knew this would happen. I knew I'd stick too long on the good news part because it is not good news to someone who does not believe in Jesus to place the entire expectation of their life change on them. That's not good news. That is below average news. The good news is that God saved you. God loves you. God forgives you. That's the good news. And when you say, yes, I believe, it is wiped clean. Well, what if I keep messing up? Oh, you will. I promise you, you will keep messing up. And where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Now, people would ask Paul, Paul, so if there's tons of grace, should we just keep sinning so we get more grace? And he goes, stop being stupid. It's a new Brian edition of Romans. Absolutely not. Stop. But just saying I'm going to stop never does it because everyone that goes to camp, goes to a camp or a mission trip, man, that sin you're struggling with, that last night, you give it up. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm walking away this time. It's going to be it. This, the last night at camp with the weeping that happens or the last night on a mission trip when you're so exhausted and you can't control your emotions anymore and you just give, I'm, I'm going to give that up. I'm never doing that again. 
until that high wears off because we try and do it in our own strength. You can't save yourself. And if you can't save yourself, you can't keep yourself saved. There's no ability to be saved, which means you can't sanctify yourself. It's a process that God walks you through when you humbly accept his leadership. That's it. So we've got to stop, whether overtly or not, presenting the gospel of Jesus as figure it out, fix yourself, clean it up. Don't do that on Saturdays. Do this on like Follow God. Then is it great joy? We're going to start, is it great joy for us? Because if you look at, if you look at Christians on the day-to-day, we're not exactly known for being joyful people. Like, that's not the word on the street. The word on the street is not like, man, I was with this Christian the other day. Dude, he was so happy. He didn't complain about anything. He, he was talking about his wife, and it was all good things. His kids, he just loves them. His work, it wasn't going great, but he said it was, I know it's not going great. I work with him, but, but he said it was great. It was good. God was in control. That's not the word on the street. The word, like, if, if we're a group of Christians and the world sees us coming, they're not real happy we're there. And part of it is because we've forgotten that the fruits of the Spirit, when we have the Spirit living inside of us, what God is supposed to give us is love and, and, then, and then joy. Joy. Now, I, I get real tired of this argument and this conversation. Well, joy is not a feeling, it's a state of being. Well, tell your face. Okay? <laughs> tell your face that your state of being is joyful. If you have said yes to Jesus and he has saved you, you are made right with your creator. Every now and then, that should make you happy. Every now and then. I'm not saying all the time. Like, we can have bad days, that's right. But our overall state of being should be joy. Do you know what happens the moment you get like two Christians together for more than about 10 minutes? Not joy. And I'm one of the two every time. Those are my friends laughing. It's like, they're right. He's right. You don't bring no joy. But we struggle with this. We struggle because, again, we don't believe it's good news. We're still trying to manage our sin. And when we don't, we get real upset because, oh, I forgot. This is really good. There's two sides to the spectrum. There's two sides. If, if for, for the entire Old Testament, it was do right, do good, get good. Okay? Sorry, I'm jumping back to good news. I apologize. It was do good, get good. You do good, God will do good. You do bad, God's going to do bad. That was the Old Testament. The Old Testament was an if-then covenant. If you do this, then I will. We don't, we don't live in the Old Covenant. There's been a New Covenant. And the New Covenant is, I give you good. What if I do bad? I give you good. I gave you good. I did good. I did all the good that you would ever need, so all you get is good. And so what that does is it creates two ends of the, two ends of the spectrum. Over here we have this end of the spectrum. Those, those times in your life when you're doing good, you start feeling real proud about it. You start elevating yourself to one of those Christians that God should be happy that I'm on his team because of all the amazing things that I'm doing for his kingdom and how dare you not live up to my standard. 
and it creates pride, which is not biblical. Or you come over here to the, I can't do good. I can't, I can't do this anymore. I hate this. I hate this walk with God. I hate God. I hate church. I hate the whole thing because I'm doing bad when we forgot that even when we do bad, we get good. That's the good news. And that should bring us joy, joy that goes beyond our circumstances. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of angels, of God's angels, when even one sinner repents. I'm about to step on your toes, just so you know. When's the last time our church experienced this joy? And when it happens, when it happens, this is the joy we give. We give a nice little golf clap. Like we get, we get more, we'll take a golf analogy, we get more excited about making an eight foot putt than we do when someone goes from death to life. I get more excited about a Tyreek Hill 70 yard touchdown than when I, someone here believes in the free gift of salvation. If we lose the joy of watching people come to know Jesus, we lose the motivation. And it's not good news of great joy anymore. Because if we're not teaching the good news, we're not going to see salvations which bring great joy. And if we don't have great joy, we don't have the motivation to give the good news anymore. And then we become a group amongst ourselves and just take care of ourselves. And that brings us a little bit of happiness every now and then. But it ain't joy. Joy comes when you believe the good news is for all people and you start acting on that. Stop just believing that's what the Bible says and actually proclaiming that's what the Bible says. And we'll move on to the next one for all people. Is this good news for all people? Do we believe that? Do we believe that it's good news for those who don't think like us? Do we think, do, are, are we willing to give the good news of Jesus to those who don't think like us, who don't look like us, who don't act like us, who don't have the same political affiliation as us, who root for the Raiders? There's forgiveness, I promise. We'll talk about it later. Whatever it is, we all have those people. I'm talking about we all have those people most and if you don't know those people go back and look at your Facebook feed you'll know who those people are for you we have those people those people who are the problem with the world and we sure ain't about to tell them the good news because it ain't for all people it's for those who we believe are deserving that's what Christianity has come to in America right now some of you are smiling because you're super uncomfortable, and I like it. Because that's what Christianity has come to right now. The good news of great joy is only for those that I think are deserving. 
and everyone else can go to hell. That's what we're saying. Because we do know if they don't receive the good news of great joy, they're going to hell, right? We get that. Eternal punishment. We get that. Then why is the good news of great joy not for all people? Most popular verse in the Bible. For God, for this is how God loved the world. This is from the New Living Translation. I loved it. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. If God did not send his son to judge the world, why would he believe, why do we believe as his followers, that's our job? Because that's what we're doing. That's what we walk around doing every day. Because if you have those people who are not good enough to receive the gospel of Jesus, you are not in agreement with God. The word world there, it's used a bunch of times in John. And almost every time, it means the totality of fallen mankind. Which is all of us. It ain't them, that's us too. We are fallen, broken people. Just some of us have said yes to the gospel. Some of us have said yes to the good news. I'm going to say it again. If God didn't come to condemn the world, why do we? It's the commandment of Jesus to his followers, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, Excuse me, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, what you have to understand is if you're a first century Jewish person, you're totally fine with the first one. When Jesus says to them, go to Jerusalem and tell people about me, they're like, I can do that. I can go to people who look like me, act like me, and have a sense of morality that I do. They may not be believers yet, but they kind of sort of act like it. I can go to those people, that's fine. And then he says Judea, and they're like, oh, well, that, that's a bit of an inconvenience. <laughs> that's a little bit of ways. I'm good here. I'm good here, but God, don't, don't really, I really don't want you to move me anywhere else. I'm good here amongst my people. And then he says, <laughs> then he says something laughable. And then, like, and then he says, and, and to Samaria. And like, oh, no, no, mm-mm, mm-mm. Not, no, no. Samaritans were those people for this group. Samaritans were the half-breeds. They were half-breeds because they were only half-people. That's how Jewish people saw Samaritans. They were half a person. They're not even good enough to be considered a whole human being. They're half a person. And so, again, Jerusalem, yes, we're down. Let's go do that. We'll save this community. Judea, oh, well, I don't think, like, that's, I don't got gas money for that. But then Samaria? Who are you kidding? Jesus, you know those people. You know how they talk. You know how they act. You know how they're just trying to destroy everything we stand for. Yes, I do. I made them. I know them. He is omnipotent, all-knowing. Of course he knows. 
You want to, ready, ready, ready? The command still stands. I have got to stop bending the commands of God to what I want and start bending what I want to God's commands. Good news of great joy for all people. All people. Because if we've got people that don't feel like they can come into a church building, we are presenting not the gospel of Jesus. Jesus came to save all people. And that doesn't mean all people are saved. That means that he came to save all people. And who am I to disqualify anyone from the good news of salvation. I read a quote recently, I wish I could remember who said it, that I'm, he said, I'm the greatest sinner I know because I know me most. I love that. I'm the greatest sinner I know because I know me most. I, I know what I struggle with, and I know that I never could qualify for God's love. I never could qualify for God's grace. I never could qualify for you to accept me. I never could qualify. To this day, I've never had a day where I qualify for God. But every day, I stand in the middle of his grace, in the middle of his love, as a broken human being, but through his eyes am seen of his very own righteousness. If we go back to the book of Exodus, I'll tell you a little story to close. In the book of Exodus, the Israelites, God's people, were slaves in Egypt. And God is trying to convince Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, to let the Israelites go. And he goes through nine different plagues, and, and they progressively get worse. And, and the tenth plague is the worst, and it's, it's the death of the firstborn. And, but he gives the Israelites a way out, and he says, slaughter a lamb and take the blood and paint the doorposts. And when the angel of death comes, he will see the blood and move on. I never noticed the angel never checked inside. He saw the blood, saw righteousness, and moved on. When God looks at you, he sees the blood of the sacrificial lamb of Jesus and doesn't need to look inside. You are made right with him. That's the good news. That's the good news. Because inside that house, it's a mess. Mine's a mess. Yours is a mess. Now we'll clean it up and tidy it up every now and then, but there's going to be that one closet that we don't ever talk about. We never look at. But God looks at the blood of Jesus. Says, that one's mine. That one is made right with me. And that is what we celebrate at Christmas. 
So at the moment that Jesus was born onto this earth, he began a process for people to be made right with their creator. Because for their previous existence, it was constantly at a distance from God. We couldn't live up to the standards because none of us could, and that constantly created separation between us and God, and God came to earth, put on flesh and bone, moved into our neighborhood to live a life that we couldn't live. A perfect, sinless life. Willingly gave his life. Jesus was not murdered. He willingly gave his life as a sacrifice for you and I. So that for the rest of our lives, there would never be distance between us and God. That there would never be this gap between us and the God who loves us perfectly. It's an unconditional love. If he, if he could love you less based on your actions, that's conditional love. That's what we have. God's love is unconditional that once the blood of Jesus is put on you, once you accept the free gift of salvation, you are saved by his grace because he who knew no sin became sin. So that the purpose, the purpose of Christmas, the purpose of Easter is so that we, by humbly bowing before God and accepting the free gift of salvation, we can become the righteousness of God ourselves. I told you it would get gooder. That's the gospel. And if we don't start the gospel with Jesus, we've started in the wrong place. The backbone, the spine, the foundation of of, of Christianity is not your and my behavior. The backbone of the gospel is Jesus' behavior. It was perfect, it was sinless, it was flawless, it was without error, and he humbly submitted to God's plan to the point of death. And because of that, we can be free this morning. And I believe this morning, we need freedom. I believe this morning, whether, whether you've never said yes to Jesus, I believe that this morning is for you. I believe that I was given this message a year ago to preach this morning for someone who has yet to believe that needs that good news, that has heard it as mediocre news. Mediocre news that's a little happy that, that that's for a few people. That's how it's been presented to you. But this morning, you recognize that it is good news of great joy for you. For you. For those of us who have already said yes, I think we needed a reminder that as Rick Warren said in one of the best-selling Christian books of all time, The Purpose Driven Life, It starts with a sentence. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. The the, the story begins with Jesus. The middle, middle of the story is Jesus. The end of our story will be when we stand face to face with Jesus. He's everything. He's everything. And he's the one who will help you to be sanctified, which is the process of becoming more like him when he gives you both the will and the power to do.
what pleases him. And here's what's crazy. And I promise this is my actual closing. The crazy thing when it talks about the things that bring him pleasure in that verse, when it says Philippians 2.13, when it says that he gives you both the will and the power to do what pleases him, he's not talking about moral actions. He's talking about making disciples. The thing that gives God the most pleasure, the thing that brings more joy than 99 people who don't need to repent is when one does. Is when one person in a group says, I need that. I need that grace. I need that love. I need that forgiveness. I need to be made free. That's the good works that God has prepared for us ahead of time. It's not our morality. We were never supposed to be defined by our morality. We were supposed to be defined by Jesus. Because if we're defined by our morality, we're what are what's called moral deists, that we believe our morality is our God. Or are we followers of Jesus? And he is our God.